are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. I've been asked so many times about uh, the trip that we were able to take to Rwanda, me and and five others from, uh, from our church and so I wanted to share a little bit about that with you guys today and show you some pics uh, from our trip, uh, really with the goal to, number one, thank you for sending and, and, and being generous to this church so we can do this. But I really want to encourage and challenge some of you to, last week was Go Sunday and, and we uh, had trips, uh, uh, tables out front. Uh, I want to encourage you to go, um, to not just be like, yeah, our church goes on trips and we send people, isn't that great? No, that our, ch- our church wants you to go. Uh, and even if that's like going to Queens, you know, that's an easy trip. I mean, it's like jump on a plane, drive an hour and a half. It's like a different country out there. So it's close enough, right? Uh, New York City. But, but to, to, to see, and, there, and there's several things I think you'll see. As I was, I hadn't been in, in a couple of years outside of our country uh, just because of the season of life. But uh, I was reminded of why one of my seminary professors back in seminary challenged us to go. Uh, to cross-cultural ministry because uh, there was just three things that I was reminded of. And I, I want to encourage you, th- these three things you'll see if you are able to uh, go and, and be part of one of these trips. Number one, you're going to see people that have nothing but that have more joy than most of us. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see people who live off of a dollar a day, maybe. Uh, some of them not even that because they don't have jobs. They just work their kind of land uh, but they have more joy than Americans on, on steroids, which just reminds you that stuff don't bring joy. Um, because here's, I mean, really, you have a church of people that one of you has more money in your bank account than the entire church, and yet they're just joyful. They sing louder than us. No offense, they just do. Um, they, 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 they're, they're, there's a joy when they gather. They love on each other well, and I think it's a great reminder for us, and you would be very encouraged by seeing that, um, and, and you'd be reminded how blessed you are. Like, you have air conditioning, and you don't have to sleep with a mosquito net, uh, and, and things like that. And you have water that you can drink without worrying about how it's going to put you on your back for a couple days. Um, you can go to the Target or the Walmart if you run out of something. Um, it, it's, it's just so simplistic to, to forget that you've been very blessed, and so I think that you'll be encouraged. Second thing is this. Uh, they are a hungry people, not, not physically, but they are hungry spiritually. Uh, they just long to be taught, which is so ironic because we're like, Fowler, you're like 40 minutes. Isn't it time to go? The game comes on, right? And, and you know, I, I could sit there, not that I, you know, want to hear myself speak, but it's for seven hours a day and they'd be asking questions. I'm like, it's four o'clock, y'all. We got a break. And they're like, wait, I got another question. I'm like, no, it's four o'clock. We got to go. I'm American. They don't have clocks in Africa. They don't care what time it is, which is why they're always late to everything. But uh, they're just like, oh, four o'clock, what's that mean? You know, we're, we're just walking home. We don't have a car, so it doesn't matter. We don't have anywhere to go. I'm like, no, no, it's four o'clock. I'm an American. It's done. We're over. The bell rang. But they just, they desire to learn. And the, here's the interesting thing. I was training and teaching pastors and, and leaders in the church, and, and their education level is, is so low. Um, I, you know, I was t- trying to teach like how to, you know, what a sentence is. And I'm like, okay, just look for the verbs. And one guy's like, this is a pastor of a church. He's like, what's a verb? I'm like, whew, we got to go back. And, and 
this is the pastor of a church. And, and it just reminds me, we have been blessed. You're, you can complain about your schooling and all oh, my schools are so bad. At least you have schooling. Most of these pastors and leaders didn't make it past fifth grade because if you're gonna go to school in that country, you have to pay. You don't get to just go to school. There's no public school. Like, oh yeah, you get to go to public school. You gotta pay, which is why we support the Mahigos who do Mahiga Hope and they will, they, will, they will send a kid to school for $35 a month. That'll pay for the kid's uniform and their food and you can send a kid to school for, for the cost it takes for you to go to Chick-fil-A. Actually less than the cost to go to Chick-fil-A. Um, and so uh, it, it, for those who have been given much, Jesus reminds us, much is required. And so this is why we're generous as a church. This is why we, we invest in places. And I'll show you some of the, the, the things that this church has been able to do uh, because of uh, our, y'all's generosity in a few minutes as I show pictures. But so just a reminder that, hey, there are hungry people. We need to be hungry. Uh, remember Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. And the third thing is this. I think it would be good for some of us to get outside of Savannah so you would see that God is not just the God of Savannah, Georgia. Like that your little box that you put, you know, like God in, this, that he, this is how it works and this is what we do. And that you would get outside this context and see God is greater than Savannah, Georgia. There's nothing wrong with Savannah. We love our Savannah. But he is doing things in the world. And these are your brothers and sisters who you will spend eternity with. You might as well get to know them beforehand, right? It'd be nice to meet them. Um, but it, it's not just, we, we have this little cultural Christianity and I, and I get we live in a culture and we live in a, in a so I get that, but it is so helpful to see that your little box, theological or functional, that we put God in and how he works here is not how he always has to work or does work in the nations. Um, if you hear the stories, I mean, one lady shared a testimony, and again, they don't have any concept of time, so her five-minute testimony went like 40 minutes. Um, but here, here was a woman who was cured of HIV, miraculously. Like she tested positive because her husband gave her HIV, and then she tested not negative, and he still had it, and, and, and I, I can't explain that. I can't explain that. So uh, you're, our little, the way God works, and it's, it's good for you to get outside. So if you can go, please go. And if you're like, oh, it's not, it's not too late, email Tom, what are, the, what are the trips? If you're like, Africa's a little far for me, it is, let me tell you, it's far. 33 hours from start to finish, okay? It's a long trip. So if you're like, I can't handle that. Central America, Honduras, Guatemala, these places are not as far. Queens is not that far. Um, and, and so I'd encourage you to, to l- at least look into it. Um, here's a couple pictures of our trip. This is the church that uh, the Mejigos minister in. He's the bishop. I think he's the bishop. I don't know what that means, but he's the bishop. And uh, those are the greeting team. You know, they got uniforms, greeting team uniforms, I guess. I don't know, but... Uh, this is very simplistic building, but this is the Mahigos Church, the Christian Unity Fellowship, and I guess that's what it, in, in Kenya, Rwanda, I guess that's what it means on the left, but um, great place to worship. They would, usually in the mornings, so we would, you know, Mahigos would show up whenever to pick us up. He'd be like, I'll be there at 8.15. Never at 8.15. Uh, but so he gets there, and they just, they just sing until the preachers get there. That's how it works at their church. So they could be there like an hour and a half singing. So if you're like, we did three songs, that's so many. They just sing until we, until we walk in. Like, okay, now we can time for preaching. So, so if you're complaining about the length of service, you need to definitely go to, to Africa. Um, this is the nursery uh, in the back. And these are the sweetest little kids, let me tell you. 
they come up and rub your, if you have hairy arms like me, they come up and rub your arms because they don't see hairy arms. They're like, ooh, fuzzy. I'm like, yes, fuzzy. But they are the sweetest and, uh, and, and they just love you. They just, they're just very loving. This is, um, this is what we as a church have been able to build. Uh, and this is important. So the building on the right is the school that the Mahigos are trying to build in this little village. Um, again, so that the kids in the village who can't go to school can come to school and learn. And his vision and involves you, so just so you know, is that some of you would go over for a month or a year and you would teach in this school and live in the village and enjoy nature in a level that you have never enjoyed it as. Uh, but that's his dream, is, is to, to bring these kids, and you can see the, the hills. Look in the back. This is just the village. That it's on top of a mountain. It's just all these people and all these kids, and they just come to this, this location. And so that's, that building is about $55,000 away from being finished. Uh, the left building is the pastor center or the equipping center, whatever. The, the downstairs is done. This is the classrooms of downstairs. Very simple, plaster walls, you know, lights and tile. Very nice for them. If you went like last year to Rwanda, this wasn't done, but it is, the downstairs is done now. So they have four rooms just like this that are finished and the upstairs is, is uncompleted. It's, this is what it looks like right now. Uh, it, about $27,000 will finish this building out, right? I mean, in America, that'd be like, 2.7 million, but right there, it's like $27,000. Um, this is uh, uh, the outside of the school. Uh, this, is their, uh, this is their scaffolding. It's not exactly OSHA standards, um, so, but they will climb that. You can see the one like leaning to the right. Can you imagine? Like, yeah, I mean, but they, they build, this is what they do. And, uh, and so they, it's, again, almost done. Um, so we want to be encouraged to finish it, and I would love to see I see that this is the inside of the church. We, uh, when we went over, we provided lunch for everyone who came. You provided lunch every day for all the pastors and leaders and people in the village that wanted to come to these sessions, which consisted usually of stuff that grow right there, rice, beans, cassava, potatoes, some sort of green vegetable that I didn't eat uh, because I don't eat green vegetables, um, bottled water, just Stuff, good healthy food that, that we fed them with. Maybe the only meal some of them ate for a day. This is my class right here. Um, sharp group of, uh, of folks there. And the ladies especially were very, very sharp. They probably got more out of the class than the men, to be honest. Uh, especially that front row, they were, they were the rock stars. I'd be like, you guys, stop raising your hand. Let some of the guys answer the questions, right? Um, these are the kids from the village that are just flock to you. Um, because you're different. In fact, I only, uh, I only my, my wife asked me last night, you didn't learn any of the language? You didn't even learn how to say hello? I, so I learned one word, Mazunga, white person, right? Because <laughs> we drive down and we would drive, this, this village is on a hill about 2,000 feet above sea level and you start at the bottom and you go up and like, you know, it's about two miles up the hill, I guess. And I used to tell, I tell John Mahigo every morning because I sat in the very back of the van and one of the guys that was scared of John's driving would sit up front. And I said, John, I'll give you a 10,000 Rwandan francs, which is like 10 bucks, uh, if you can get up the hill in three minutes or less. And so he'd be flying up the hill and God would be like, no, oh, you know. But they would throw candy out the window at the kids and they'd be like, oh, you know, they'd point us. And, and uh, it was every day that we'd do that. This is... Uh, looking out the back of the church. This is Kigali, the city of Rwanda, the capital. And most of it is that kind of house. Variegated metal roofs, dirt floor, 
uh, you know, maybe electricity, maybe not. Um, this is where the, the nation lives. Uh, even in the city of Rwanda is where the money is, and it's really not that much money, but you go out in the, to the villages, this is where people are. They live off of the, the food in their yard, and they trade, and, um, you know, and remember, Africa is a ginormous continent. This is most of the continent of Africa, right? You know, this, you don't find that anywhere in the United States of America. That's most of Africa, of just poverty and, and people that live off of what they have. Um, Rwanda is the city of hills, or I mean, of the of nation of hills. And so you look around, this is around this, uh, this village that we were in, which is in the capital. It's just beautiful, um, beautiful jungle. It was the rainy season, so it rained about every afternoon, kind of like here in March or April. Um, and this is me riding uh, the bike with one of our, uh, one of the guys in our class, this is Eric. And is it, is it Eric, John? Was it Eric? Yeah. Eric was one of the Mahigo orphans that he sent to school. And because he went to school, now he has a job. He drives these taxis. That mo- most people don't have cars, and so they ride these things at their own peril, I will tell you. Uh, because there are just like hundreds of them, right, everywhere. They're just like, you know, for like flies. They're just like everywhere. But, uh, you know, for like 50 cents, you can get a, you know, a ride. And I tell Eric, I said, Eric, I need to ride the mountain. So he took me up on the mountain and I'm the only, me and uh, one other person did it. No one else was brave enough. John's too old to do it, aren't you, John? You, know, you don't want to ride that. So if you go to Rwanda, you have to ride the bike. That's a rule. So don't, if you're not willing to ride the bike, don't go to Rwanda. So it's, it's definitely worth your adventure. If you're going to go across the world, you might as well do it. So, um, but anyway, it, God is doing great things in the nations. You have been a generous church. And uh, this is just one spot that we are, right? That, that, this is just one location where there's a lot of bang for your buck in Rwanda. I mean, again, for $80,000, we can finish the school and finish the, the uh, uh, pastor center. Just like last week, you know, we can, we can fund a, a translation of the scripture just in, in one week for us, which takes, it would take them 20 years to do this. So uh, we are stewards of God's money and stewards of God's resources and uh, you're steward of your time. So if you can go, pray about it and go. Uh, you've, been, you've been to Taibi a thousand times. You know, go to Rwanda, go to Honduras, go to uh, Queens, you know, go to one of these places because uh, it'll shape you as much as it shapes them. So anyway, all right, turn to Matthew 21. We are working our way through Matthew and we are kind of at, a, at a, a turning point in the gospel where the first 20 chapters have been really the, primary of Jesus, most of Jesus' life, 33 years, these last eight chapters are going to zoom in on, on who Jesus is, right? On his last week, um, he has been very, up to this point, almost elusive, right? He's been kind of like, you know, if he heals someone, he's like, okay, don't go tell anybody. You go be quiet about it. Go back there. He speaks of himself in the third person. The son of man will do this. And the son of man says this. It's, it's, Unless you're on the inner circle, unless you're a disciple, and even in the disciple, you're John, James, or Peter who got to see him transfigured, he's kind of been veiled on who he has been up to this point, right? He's been, unless you're there, you know and seen it, the crowd is, they get hints of it, but they don't really know who he is. That changes in chapter 21. Jesus is going to reveal, this is who I am, this is why I'm here. He's presenting himself as the king to his 
people. And where it's been hidden before, it's no more hidden. And that takes place in what we call uh, the triumphal entry, or, or, or some would say it's, it's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Remember, if you grew up in the church on Palm Sunday, you were in Sunday school, they hand you a little green you know, construction paper and said, all right, when you go into the service, wave this thing like crazy when we sing the song. And you're like, okay, yay, why? That's just what we do on Palm Sunday. We wave and then shout out, Hosanna, great. What's that mean? I don't know, but it's, it's a Bible word. It's important, right? And, and there's this cultural separation because what's going on in, in Matthew 21 is very cultural to them they, and they get it. But for us, unless we grew up in church, and even if we grew up in church, we know the what's, but we don't know the why's, right? Because there's a different language and there's different culture and there's just different everything. And so, but what's going on here is Jesus is revealing who he is and the people, they, they understand, at least initially. And so what we're gonna do is unpack it this morning. And, and there's no commands, there's no imperatives. Jesus doesn't say, go and do such and such and go. It's just a presentation of Jesus. He's revealing himself. So we're gonna unpack it. Hopefully you'll understand it a little bit more and then I'll give some takeaways at the end after uh, we're done. So let me read our text and we'll jump in. Verse 21, chapter 21, verse one. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So Jesus has been heading to Jerusalem. He told, we saw Clint unpack this a few weeks ago. He told his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem, I'm gonna die. And it was like over their heads. They're like, yeah, but can we sit next to you in the kingdom? And then he heals two blind men who are blind physically, but they see spiritually very clearly because they call out to him as the son of David, you are the Messiah, heal us. And he gives them sight. And this idea of sight plays into now he wants everyone to see. He he doesn't want you to be spiritually blind to who he is. He is the king. He's being presented as the king. And so in verse one, they draw near to Jerusalem. Now you have to understand what's going on in Jerusalem at this time. Okay, the setting is important. This is the 10th of Nisan, all right, on the Jewish calendar. The 10th of Nisan is a significant day because that is the day that all the nation would choose their family Passover lamb, 
all right? That's when they would choose it. And remember, after they choose it, it would stay with them for several days until on the Passover at twilight, they would kill the Passover lamb. This is a huge festival time in Jerusalem. It's three big festivals. You have Passover, you have unleavened bread, and you have first fruits all in one weekend. So the city is swelling. Estimates of two to 2.5 million people just visiting based on the number of sacrifices that Josephus mentions and how many, you know, 10, 10 people per sacrifice. It, it's, it's, the city is like Savannah on St. Patrick's Day. Just think about that. You can't go anywhere. It's just crowded. There's a lot of buzz and excitement. People are walking up to Jerusalem. And on top of that, Jesus has just risen, raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Which has caused a huge stir so much so that the Pharisees want to kill Lazarus and they want to kill Jesus. So all that is going on. And they find themselves right outside the city of Jerusalem at Bethpage, uh, and they're going to go to the Mount of Olives. This is a little map of where they're at, okay? So the Temple Mount, you can see it in the middle there. They are east of the city, and they're going to come up into the city through the Mount of Olives, right? From Bethpage, very close, not a, not a far ride. Here's a picture from where they're at, in essence. This is the Mount of Olives looking into Jerusalem from the east. You see the dome on the rock, which was not there when Jesus was there. It was just Herod's temple. But that's where they're going, right? And, and it's very unique what's going on here because Jesus, uh, he walks everywhere, he gets his steps in everywhere, but he's going to say, no, we're, we're going to do this differently this time. Look at verse two. So he tells his disciples, two of them, I got a mission from you, for you. I want you to go into the village, the one that's in front of you, and as soon as you come in, immediately, you're going to find a donkey and it's colt. Now, Matthew is the only gospel that mentions the, the, the donkey and it's colt. The rest of them just deal with the colt because they focus on the colt. But Matthew gives you all the details. There's going to be a mama donkey and a baby donkey. As soon as you go in, I want you to go get them for me, all right? And I want you to bring them to me. And, and, and Jesus knows where the donkey is. Get this now. He knows where the donkey is, where the mama donkey is, where the baby donkey is. And he knows what the disciples are thinking because they're thinking, yeah, but won't we, somebody's gonna be like, hey, where are you taking my donkeys? And Jesus says, okay, and when they ask you, you tell them the Lord needs them and they're gonna give them to you. Right? And this is actually a custom in that day called angaria, where you could go and procure an animal for a significant feature. So why does Jesus need a donkey? I mean, he walks everywhere. What's, what's the, what, why now different? Why is he gonna ride a donkey? Well, Matthew tells us. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. The prophet is Zechariah in chapter nine, verse nine. And in Zechariah 9, 9, it says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So he quotes Zechariah. He's the only gospel writer uh, of the synoptics that does. Mark doesn't mention it. Luke doesn't mention it. So why does he mention it? Because remember why Matthew is writing into who he's writing to. He's writing to the Jews to show them that Jesus is their Messiah. And this is one way you will know your Messiah. According to Zechariah, he will be riding on a baby donkey. Right? He's going to come to you riding on a baby donkey, which is unique, right? to say the least. And, and, and it sounds like, why? I mean, that's kind of, isn't that what kids do at a farm? You know, uh, riding a kid donkey? It's just kind of silly, isn't it? But what's going on here is, is, is Jesus is being, he stands out different from all other kings. 
Like a king, if they want to come into a city and impress people, they're going to ride in on their white horse, right? That was what traditionally they would do. This shows a sign of power and authority. And if I'm going to go to war, I'm going to conquer, I'm going to ride a white horse. When a king wanted to come in a sign of peace, he would ride a donkey. Jesus is coming into the city of peace on a symbol of peace. And he's humble. He's riding on the colt of a donkey, right? And, and even that is, is miraculous. And so the disciples go and they do and they find everything as, as Jesus says. Yep, the donkey was there, the mom was there. They even are asked, hey, what are you doing with our donkey? And he says, hey, the Lord needs it. And they give him, everything happens just like Jesus said because he is in control of this whole thing. He is orchestrating this whole uh, circumstance. But then they bring the donkey and the colt and they put him on the colt, which is, don't, don't glance over that. That's, that's miraculous, have you ever tried to ride something that has never been ridden? This is why we have rodeos, okay? Uh, this is not Jesus, get on for eight seconds until the horn blows and then you're good, right? No, he is going to sit on a baby donkey which has never been ridden before and the baby donkey will not buck him off. Why? Because the baby donkey knows its creator. Because he can calm the sea, he can calm the donkey, and so he sits on the donkey and he rides. And Zechariah says, this is your king. And Matthew says, this is your king. See, behold, literally see your king. It was veiled before, it is not now. And, and, it, and they don't grasp it because they're used to a king like Caesar or Herod who comes in and demonstrates power and abuses people and uses people to get what they want. That's not the type of king he is, Right? He is gentle, he is humble, he brings peace, right? He is power, yet gentleness at the same time. He is majestic and yet meek at the same time. He is coming into Jerusalem to be lifted up, but not lifted up on a throne, to be lifted up on a cross. He rides into Jerusalem not to destroy his enemies, but to save his enemies, that is the type of king he is. And so he's riding in and the people are spreading their cloaks on the road. This is a sin, just a sign of honor. He's the king. You know, it's kind of like the red carpet and they cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. Right? You're like, what, what's all that about? Matthew's gospel says they spread branches. Mark's gospel says they spread branches. Luke's gospel doesn't mention the branches. John's gospel says they were palm branches, which is significant because if we don't have John's gospel, then it's just called Branch Sunday and not Palm Sunday. So that's good for us, right? Doesn't have quite the ring, Branch Sunday. But they put palm branches down. Why palm branches? Because palm branches were symbolic of victory. It's what you celebrated with. It's a victorious symbol. And he is going to be victorious, not in the way they think. He's gonna be victorious over sin and death uh, as he conquers them through the grave and through the resurrection. And so he's going and notice he doesn't say anything. It's significant that Jesus is not speaking. It doesn't mean no one's speaking. We'll see that in a minute, but he's not speaking. He's just riding, right? Which is again, fulfillment of prophecy. Behold my servant, Isaiah says, whom I uphold my chosen. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A fainted burning wick he will not quench. He's gentle is the idea there. 
He is not like any other king, right? He is gentle. He brings peace. And he doesn't have to speak. But yet everyone is speaking. They're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. That's a Messiah term. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. They're quoting Psalm 118, you can look it up later. It's called a Hallel Psalm, a praise Psalm. These are the Psalms that when the pilgrims will be heading to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, first fruits, tabernacles, trumpets, day of atonement, whatever feast, they would sing the Hallel Psalms. And so uh, Hosanna just simply means save us, save now. So think about what they're doing. Here's Jesus quietly riding on this donkey. They see him, they throw their coats down and they're yelling, Son of David, i.e. king, save us now. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are saying, you are the king. You are the king. They they see it, supposedly. They they grasp it. They understand what what is going on here, at least initially, right? But here's the problem. What they want saving from is not why Jesus is there. What they want, quite honestly, in this season of where we're at, is what some of you want. You want a political savior, right? You want a governor, a mayor, a politician who's gonna do what you think they should do. They wanted someone to politically rescue them from who? From Rome. They wanted an economic savior. Rome is taking our money and taking our resources and they have our houses. They want deliverance from Rome. That is not the kind of king he is. That's not the kind of savior he is. He is there to save them from the wrath of God, right? He's there to save them from their sins, which is why they kill him, because he's not the kind of savior they want. But right now, they're all excited, and they're caught up. And Hosanna, Hosanna, and the city is on fire. The whole city was stirred up. The word there for stirred up is the word for earthquake. It is loud, it's like touchdown, you know, you can hear it. And, and the Romans are probably like, what is going on? And the Jewish leaders are mad because the people are calling him basically the king and the Messiah. And so in Luke's gospel, they actually say, teacher, tell your disciples to hush. Don't you know what they're saying? Don't you get they're calling you Messiah? And he says, I'll tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, which is an amazing incredible statement. What Jesus is saying is if these people don't say what they're saying, then the dead, lifeless rocks will cry out because the dead, lifeless rocks know their creator apparently better than you. The only kind of person that says that is someone that's crazy, someone that is arrogant on the level that's, this is nuts, or someone that is Lord. He is not hiding who he is anymore. I am the Lord of those rocks. In fact, what does he tell the disciples when they, when they, he says, if, if they, someone asks you about the donkey, tell them that the Lord, tell them the Lord needs it. This is not tell them the son of man. Tell them that I, tell them God needs the donkey. He's not hiding who he is anymore. He is showing himself to be their king. And Zechariah says, Behold, you're a king. And here's, here's again, unique. It's not in, in Matthew's gospel, it's in Luke's. But look at Jesus's response. He draws near the city. Picture that picture that I showed you earlier. He's looking at Jerusalem, the temple, 
the old city of David. This Garden of Gethsemane is right over there where he's gonna spend much time that week praying where he's gonna be betrayed. And he looks at the city and he weeps. Everyone's screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. Hosanna, save us. And he's crying. Doesn't mention Jesus crying very often in the gospels when Lazarus dies and here. He's weeping. Why? Because he knows where this is gonna end. These people that are yelling and the people that are waiting for him up there in that temple, they're going to kill him. They're gonna reject their Messiah. Would that you have even known this day for things that make peace, but they're hidden, right? They're hidden from your eyes, right? That's how, Jesus is a different kind of king. He's not coming to destroy his enemies. He's coming to save his enemies. And he comes because the father leads him there. Behold your king. So what do we do with a passage like this? Because again, there's no commands, there's no imperatives, there's no go and do this, right? Let me just give you three thoughts real quick. And then we're gonna remember the table together, um, which is fitting, I think, on Thanksgiving week. Um, here's thought number one. Um, Jesus has made clear he's not hiding who he is in this text and he has not hidden who he is to us. And, and I think there's a tendency for us in the church to think, oh, gentle Jesus, kind Jesus, humble Jesus, and he is all of those things. But don't mistake his kindness for, for his, oh, you can just be wavering and, and, you know, just whenever you feel like it. This is a text where the drawing line in the sand is being made. And he is saying ultimately this, you can follow me as king or you can murder me and reject me and crucify me, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do one or the other. Notice what they say when, when, uh, when they're asked, who is this? They're like, it's, it's the prophet which is partly true. He is the prophet from Nazareth, but he's also the priest who will make atonement for sin and he is also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it is not enough to say, yeah, Jesus was a good guy. Jesus was a good teacher. He was a prophet. He's important. He does not leave that option open for us. He is either the king or he is not, Right, and that's, that's the reality. And, and here, here's the other reality. He came in on a donkey offering peace the first time. The next time he comes to Jerusalem, he talks about it in the, in the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation. He will land on the Mount of Olives and he will split that bad boy in two. And he comes riding, not on a donkey next time, he does come on a white horse, a war horse to rule the nations. And at that point, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, here's what I would encourage you with. Go investigate the claims of the king because you will find them to be true. And this is a, an opportunity for you to respond to the one who came to give you life and life abundantly. And if you are a Christian, here's your response. Are you gonna let the rocks put you to shame? You, you, I see some of y'all out there singing, some of you men, you're just like, my wife's singing for me. She's, she's, she's singing for me, right? The rocks cry out and they are lifeless. The people of God respond to the grace and the love of God with what? With worship. That's what the Psalms are about, right? With worship. And I'm, no one's saying you have to, you know, get down front and do a dance. Although I did dance in Africa. I did the running man for Jesus on a Sunday morning, right? They, had, they, they brought me up front. You need to dance. I'm like, I'm doing this wave thing they taught me to do. I don't even know. But hey, 
whatever it is. But the people of God worship. That's what we do. You're created to worship. You love God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole mind, and with your strength. That, that involves worship. And it's an important part of why we gather, right? The rocks can do it, so the people of God do it. So that's, that's kind of first idea. Here's the second one. If he is the king, and he is, then, then we respond to the king and we follow the king, All right? We, in our culture, we don't have this idea of king very well. We have a democracy and we vote and we put guys in office that they serve us, right? That's what we always hear. Remember, there are representatives and blah, blah, blah. You know, we don't exist as Christians in a republic. We exist in a monarchy, and the monarchy is Jesus, the king. He is the king. He is a good king, and he is a king who cares for his sheep, but he is still a king. And when the king says, I want you to flee immorality, you know what you do? You flee immorality. When the king says, I want you to go to Rwanda, and you're like, I don't like flying. Well, take a Z-Quill and get on the plane, buddy. That's what you do. Because the king told you. When he says to put aside malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, do you know what you do? You put aside hypocrisy and envy and guile and all slander. When he says, I want you to love your enemy, and that means your boss who doesn't like you, you know what you do? You love your enemy. You forgive. You fill in the blank. Why? Because he's the king. What did the disciples do when he says, I want you to go in that village and look to your right as soon as you come around that fence and there's gonna be a donkey? They're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. And to take someone's donkey, that's kind of sketch. But they do it, even though they don't know how it's gonna turn out. Why? Because they trust the king. If he is a good king and has proved his love for you and has proved his goodness, then what is, what is the problem? There should be none. And I think it's just a reminder he is who he says he is. He does what he says he does. And so we can trust him and he's good. He's your king, right? That's the second big idea here. And here's the third. I thought about this when I was in Africa. Um, it's easy to get caught up in the, in the Sunday morning Christianity, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to be a Christian here right now because you're surrounded by a bunch of Christians. So you're not, you know, you're not cussing anybody right now and you're not you know, doing this and doing that because we're about to emerge Christians. But see, that's what's going on on Palm Sunday. Everyone's singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes. Where are these people on Thursday? Where are these people on Friday? A lot of these people are, are on a little hill called Calvary saying, crucify him, right? A lot of these people are saying, he saved others. Save yourself. A lot of these people are around Pilate saying, we want Barabbas. Not all of them, but there's at least 12 of them. 12 of them who were there like, man, this is awesome. Jesus has got a crowd. He's gonna be the king. He's taken over. So there's at least 12 of them on Sunday saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then on Thursday, one of them sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He's out. Another one, who told Jesus, I love you more than the rest of these guys. I love you more than anything, the apostle Peter. And then three hours later, the little girl's like, do you know Jesus? He's like, no, never heard of him. 
The only one who makes it to the foot of the cross is, the, is John. Even Matthew, who's writing this book, he's out. <laughs> he doesn't go. He's hiding somewhere. So what happened? They were all hosanna But Thursday night, Friday morning, where are they? And Jesus restores them, obviously, and, and they are apostles and, and do great things. But it's just a reminder that everybody can wave the palm branch, but but our king is looking for more than just our Sunday mornings. And this is a great reminder for me, more than probably everyone else, because I'm the one who has to teach. But he's looking for Thursday night Christians and Friday afternoon Christians, not just Sunday morning Christians. He's looking for you when you're alone in your room, in your office, in your car, to be listening to him, not just, yeah, yeah, Hosanna, save now. And that's because he's the king. And he clearly sees beyond just what's in front of him because he could see donkeys over there before he gets there and he can read hearts, right? And he can prophesy 500 years before he shows up that he's gonna be riding on a baby donkey. So he knows what's going on because he's the king and he's a good king. And as the king comes into Jerusalem, here's what's gonna happen this week. And and we'll come back to this in January after Advent. He's gonna present himself in the temple every day as king. And he's going to let the Pharisees and all these people question him and evaluate him and and check him. Just like the Passover lamb for four days, the the people of Israel would bring that lamb into their house and it would live with them and they would look at it and inspect it to see if it had any blemish, any spot, any any wrongful way. Because if it did, it wasn't a a good offering for Passover. And Jesus is going to present himself and say, bring it on. He's going to kick out all the sellers and all these guys in the tabernacle, say, this is my house, bring it on, ask me anything. And he's going to be there every day so they can evaluate him. Why? Because he is the Passover lamb. And then on Thursday, he will be betrayed. On Friday, he will be killed at twilight like the Passover lamb. And, and on Thursday night, he told his disciples what that what whole thing was about as he institutes what we celebrate now as the Lord's table. He said, this is my body. It's given for you in your place. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the blood of the new covenant. All these bulls and all these lambs, 250,000 lambs, a Passover slaughtered, they can't take away your sin. None of them can. You can do it every day for the rest of your life, but my blood can, and I give it freely for you. Why? Because the Father led me here. And so we're gonna remember that as a church. So if, if you're uh, handing out the elements today, I ask you to stand and go uh, and and. The team is gonna come and lead us in one song uh, while these folks hand out the elements. And just use this as a time, it's Thanksgiving week, to be thankful that the king gave his life for you. That he gave his life for you. And if you are a follower of Christ this morning uh, and he's your king, man, we invite you to celebrate at the table this morning. If, you, if you're not, we'd ask, there's no pressure, we'd ask you to just abstain. This is a reminder for those uh, who worship Christ as king Uh, for what he's done for us, giving of himself, giving his body, giving his blood after he was being presented as king. And then I'll come back up and lead us after one song and we'll take together and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for the reminder of your love uh, that Jesus is our king and that he loves us and he's good and help us as a church just to follow him, trust him because he's good. It's in Christ's name.